Welcome to episode 25 of the Bike Pack Canada podcast with yours truly, Ryan Corey. My chat today is with Matthew Lee and Scott Morris, uh, two guys that need little introduction. I met the Bikepacking Legends on my first Tour Divide in 2012. They were running their business, trackleaders.com, from Brush Mountain Lodge in Colorado. And uh, if I remember correctly, Matthew and his wife were also helping to manage the lodge that year, which was kind of a cool surprise for those uh, coming up on trail that weren't expecting it. Our chat today is on how the tracking business came to be, some behind-the-scenes info uh, you may never have thought to ask, and an understanding of what's next for the guys. On a side note, I should say that it is a minor miracle that this came together. Matthew, of course, a mythical bikepacking presence, rarely heard from, and Scott, well, he Skyped in from his uh, camper in Moab. Enjoy our chat. Uh, so welcome, guys. I appreciate it. It's, uh, you know, you're, you're legends of, of the sport, and I really appreciate you taking the time for this. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah, it's good to be here. So maybe I think the most obvious place is, is where do you guys connect? Like what year? How do you know each other? Uh, we both, uh, this is Matthew answering. We both uh, rode the 2005 Tour Divide, uh, or I mean, uh, Great Divide Mountain Bike Race, right? Isn't that right, Scott? We met on the route. Uh, that's right. I believe we met at the start line. So they're, they're yeah. at Rooseville. Yep. And you had ridden down. Uh, with the prologue uh, coming from Banff in that campaign. But that was where I first met you. Yep. We exchanged emails the year before when Scott and his uh, then-girlfriend Paula were uh, touring the route, but we ended up missing each other. I think they were sort of, um, had there been tracking then, it would have been easier to connect, but uh, they were riding north, right, Scott? Yeah, that's right. So we kept running into, I didn't know about the uh, first inaugural uh, divide race and just happened to be touring northbound uh, with Paula at the time and um, started running into the racers, uh, particularly Mike Kiriak, who was running the race. But yeah, unfortunately, we, did, we somehow, Matthew and I, missed each other on the on the route even though we were both riding it i mean you could have been riding at night or something i don't know but um but anyway i came back to race the next year because i knew about the race had learned about the race and got all excited about it and then of course matthew uh what was your streak in in racing the divide six or seven years so that was Uh, year two though (laughs) yeah yeah i i was pretty lucky to get that many years in a row away from home. (laughs) (laughs) So the, like, uh, you, you guys connected, um, like, was there an immediate need or like, was it a a friendship that you developed or was it like, you you know, over beers, you had a conversation that like, there's a need to start up a tracking service. Like what, what is the evolution of the, the, the tracking side of things? Uh, we were not, so my recollection is that we were not always chatting about the technology, but we did, um, Scott's work, uh, on his PhD in GPS, um, sort of naturally, uh, put him in a position where he was always answering the other bike packers questions about GPS technology. And so it was natural. This was maybe 2000 six or seven when we were kind of um, 
experiencing the challenges of calling in and the payphones disappearing and we were trying to audio blog and, and this is just um, speaking as participants in events really at this time um, and I remember saying to him at one point uh, what can we use to do live GPS tracking I was still kind of ignorant to it I was even asking him about Garmin navigators and how can we get those online even though it's sort of you can't use a regular navigator to track but anyway I I remember talking to him initially about it and that was before we ever heard about spot and finally in this would have been 0506 and then in in 07 the summer of 07 they announced spot announced that they were going to be coming out with a a simplex tracking device, just one-way tracker that uh, would be lightweight, compact, and relatively inexpensive. And I kind of got excited about that. That might have been an outside magazine or something. And so by November, they were ready to roll out the product, and they didn't have alliances with many outdoor industries at all. And I think we were lucky in that sense because when we asked for 30 trackers to track tour divide riders, they said yes, without giving us much grief. And we didn't have a big proposal, a plan ready. Uh, the, even the website at that point was not even an idea. Um, not until we saw what happened in the first tour divide, uh, event tracking experience in 2008, not till then did we realize that there was perhaps a business model. I'm I'm curious. It, it never really dawned on me to to write it down as a question, but just hearing you guys, like when you were doing the the Great Divide race, so the the original kind of border to border event, was there any kind of tracking available? Like, how did people like follow a race? Was it just through the call-ins? Yeah, that's right. That's really all there was. Um, we actually had a person who was transcribing every call-in. So a guy named Tom Purvis would sit at his computer and actually write out everything that people said. So there was a little bit of a blog, and you could kind of tell where people were, but it was very primitive and not easy to follow. Hmm. And Okay, so switching uh, gears back to uh, you know Spot coming out with their... Uh, more kind of user-friendly uh, mobile one-way device. I, I like. I, I'm I'm really curious. So you guys come with them to this, you know, with this proposal. Did, did has it or you know did it not dawn on them at the time to sort of s- start up their own um, kind of similar uh, website? Uh, I think it did. <clears throat> However, they did not have the the staffing or the the programming resources within their company to uh, pursue that. All they really felt like they could manage. And I think this makes sense, although knowing what we know now, I could see them uh, trying to to get away with, with uh, creating a more um, uh, social um, group tracking system. But they just didn't have the resources at the time. They did eventually roll out uh, something called Spot Adventures, but they were still individual events, uh, not group events. And what we realized in the first year of the Tour Divide was 
that the power was in combining a hundred people on one map rather than simply sharing your individual adventure. Yeah, most uh, most definitely. It's it's great that you guys did that. So two so two thousand eight the the tour divide that was that was the first event that you guys tracked. And did did you get a lot of uh, interest right away from from other events? Like how did how did that grow? Was it kind of organically, or, or were you advertising? I would say that most of our growth was very organic and you know generated from events that we did track. I don't think we got very many much attention from other events um, due to the first tour divide. Um, I think it took a little bit more seating than that, but um, we've never really, you know, pushed marketing or, um, you know, run advertisements or, or anything like that. So I think it's been very uh, word of the mouth as far as people just seeing the tracking and uh, um, on some event that they're following. And then they, you know, they just spread like that. Um, I think the first year, Matthew, correct me if I'm wrong, but the first year of in 2008 was where the term blue dot junkie was coined. Is that right? Yes, it was uh, either then or 2009. Okay. Yeah. And so that it was really an immediate, you know, emotional and obsessive, uh, type of response that at least the fans or the, you know, friends and family of people following uh, tour divide had, and that I don't think we really anticipated, um, you know, how obsessive that it was going to, it was going to get. So. And I'm going to take a step back for a second, Scott. I was just looking through my notes here. Um, you know, in the, in the evolution of all this, um, you know, I, I know you've, you've got uh, Topo Fusion is, is, is one of your projects on, on the GPS front. And I kind of admittedly, I, I don't know a ton about it because as I understand it, it's kind of more for Windows based machines. I'm, I'm on a Mac, but how does, what is Topo Fusion and how does that fit into, into all this? Um, yeah, it, it is unfortunately only a piece of software that runs on windows. So that does sort of eliminate a number of uh, people that I would love to be able to use the software. But um, the basic thing that Topo Fusion does, at least from a bikepacking perspective is able, it gives you the ability to plan and scout and chop up and manipulate routes. So GPX files. So if you're putting together a new bikepacking route or a race or anything like that, or scouting something gives you a number of choices of satellite satellite images and different topo maps and uh you know that's the big thing is a large array of maps so you can ground truth stuff using multiple sources but um i wrote that software with my brother with the help of my brother uh back in 2000 i believe and amazingly people still uh buy the software and still find it useful and which is which is great um but uh it did a lot of the code that came from Topo Fusion um, with the original Topo Fusion code. Actually, some of the basic algorithms and the way that GPS data is structured went straight into track leaders, um, which is sort of funny because it's a Windows application. But and then obviously everything on track leaders is uh, web based. But I was actually able to get a lot of that code to compile and run, um, which was we had the advantage of being really well tested um, you know, by people who've been using the software for years. 
So it did sort of serve as a kernel um, to get track leaders going and got us, I think, got us going quicker than it might have um, for somebody else, you know, doing it from the ground up. So, so, so you have a background then in, in, in programming also, or is that someone else that does all that? Uh, yeah, it's, that's me. That's right. Yep. Um, I've been, I've been a computer nerd for as long as I can remember. <laughs> well, it's, it's good that you found a balance in an activity that takes you outside anyways. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I was looking at the website and, um, um, for a while there, I thought you guys only used, um, spot devices or only, um, had the ability to track with spot devices, but I see that you also include the, the Delorme, uh, units. It, is that, is it, is it the same kind of technology? Like, uh, I don't even know what the question is. Um, is it the same kind of plug and play feature? Like, uh, you take the same information from the Delorme users or, um, is there any particular reason why it, it seems like you guys promote the spot side of things more? Sure. Uh, <clears throat> we've had partnership with spot for a number of years that began in 2007. So we do have an allegiance to them and they're, they're fairly supportive of what we do. They actually love what we do. They just um, don't have the budget to uh, support us a great deal financially, but um, we have had a longstanding relationship with them. They have allowed us to co-develop some uh, special firmware that we can apply to devices when we need to. Um, We've been a a big contributor to their their beta testing program through the years. Um, so we do have an allegiance to them, but we also understand that over time there will be a number of devices to hit the market. And um, out, of, uh, <clears throat> out of an interest of neutrality, uh, we, we feel like it's fine to support everything. And in, a, in the same way that Spot would probably say, having Delorme come along in some ways benefits their market as well. Um, we feel like the addition of, uh, of other tracking devices will only benefit our ability to work. So we're, we're not too worried about one product killing the other or, you know, they're all going to elevate this, uh, this market and the, the sophistic, the level of sophistication that the users have, for the products. The next big thing, you know, from spot will be two way comms, just like the in reach device is offering now. So, um, things are evolving and the two companies will push each other. So, yeah. And like they say, a, a rising tide raises all ships, I think is the quote, right? Right. Uh, so right. It's, it's good to, good to see that now. And, um, looking at the site again, um, you know, you would probably never realize it unless you, you needed it, but you guys also run a, a rental service for the unit. So you mentioned when you first started, you got like, a, was it 30, 30 trackers? And um, like, did the rental business kind of start right out of the gate or, or did you just kind of hand them out? What was the process there? <clears throat> well, for the Tour Divide, uh, for quite a while, as long as uh, Spot, uh, the company, supported the service contracts on those devices, which was for 
a couple of years at least, they gave us free service on those devices. As long as we had that, we passed along that benefit to the Tour Divide riders. So in the first couple of years, they nobody paid for the service. Um, but eventually, yes, what we realized was uh, events didn't have the, the budget to own their own devices. And so if you wanted to track races you needed to have a complete solution and so it was pretty clear right away we needed a a fleet of devices and um we provide a kind of turnkey solution where we'll drop ship everything already labeled and all you have to do is slap it on the adventure on the racer and they go Hmm. so how, how many devices has that rental fleet grown to now oh gosh we have uh 250 to 300 uh, trace devices, which is the little black box without an SOS. And we probably have 150 of the Gen 3 devices that have the SOS and the check OK capabilities. And, and is it safe to assume that they're, they're not um, all stored in the, the Scant Mobile in, in Scott's hideout in Moab? <laughs> uh, <laughs> No, they're not. Um, I do most of the hardware management because he is such a moving target and I live closer to a metro area. So shipping is easier for me. Uh, but he does keep a a little small, um, scamp fleet ready to go. So, so how, okay. So you start with the divide and, um, uh, like how many events are you guys up to say on average a, a year, would you say? Um, it seems like we have something going at least two or three events every weekend <laughs> these days, which is, uh, almost too much, but, um, it does vary a little bit. Uh, the winter is actually our busiest season. Um, I think we have a lot of dog sled and winter sports events going on. Um, but, uh, yeah, Matthew, wouldn't you say two to three events a weekend or a week on average? Yeah, uh, maybe two uh, a week on <clears throat> on average. Um, you know, 120 events a year, uh, legitimate events, and then we're supporting um, sometimes individual expeditions, or uh, we we will help friends out, you know, for charity causes and things like that. So, yeah, we're pretty we're pretty busy, um, but you know the the uh the model the financial model one of the tricky things is that in general events don't have a lot of money so you have to get creative about um who shoulders the cost of um all of the products and we are of the opinion that that the athlete the end user absolutely benefits as much as any um, event organizer would from their logistical standpoint. So uh, we believe that, that the end users should share in those costs. And certainly in the bikepacking scene, the end user is shouldering uh, quite a bit of those costs, um, you know, because there is no race infrastructure. There's no race director officially, you know, for a lot of them. So uh, we have to, you know, figure out how to, how to make ends meet creatively. Gotcha. And for, for new event organizers coming onto the scene, like we have, um, I think we're up to four or five, uh, events here in Western Canada, bikepacking events. 
um, you know, still a relatively small scene, but you know, for the amount of people we got interested in, it's 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 growing quite rapidly. So for for new organizers coming out, um, you know, how do they how do they get their event, um, you know, engaged with your tracking service? What's the process? Sure. Yeah. So they. Um... We just we hear about these all these new awesome bikepacking events by email usually, and um, it's actually a pretty simple process to get it going. Um, you know, the main thing we need from people is just a clean GPX file, which they have to provide uh, participants anyway, in order for them to follow the route. And then uh, they might define some waypoints uh, for the leaderboard for the checkpoints um, along the route also. And then we kind of do the rest. You know, we set up a registration form so that we we. That way, the organizer isn't even involved in collecting all the, you know, bio information and avatar pictures and spot links and everything. And we ferret all that out when there's issues uh, with it. And then, yeah, they just tell us when the event starts, and we set up the the tracking map uh, in the background and verify all the feeds, and um, we get it going. And we like to keep it as simple as we can um, for the organizers because um, a lot of times the organizers are racing themselves. And uh, we understand that's a stressful thing um, as well, but it's fun. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds like it's kind of, uh, you know, there's a lot of kind of automated features here. So once, once it gets going, does it require, you know, any event really, does it require any hands-on service from you guys or can you kind of just plug it in and, and let it do its thing? Sure. We, we probably could uh, plug it in and let it do its thing and step away. But being that we're both fans, we're often watching ourselves. And so it's hard not to play a participation role in it, whether it is, um, you know, receiving emails from riders who have dropped from the race or uh, family members contact us. Uh, we're sort of a, the the line of first contact for these type of events when there's no central um, head uh, running them. And so by default, we end up playing a role. And so we're surprisingly busy during the events, whether, I mean, you, you never know what's going to happen. Trackers get lost. Uh, SOS button gets pushed. Uh, and that can be pushed for any number of reasons. We've probably had more SOS uh, sent by racers trying to help a, a, by, a bystander, somebody who's not even involved with the race, um, then we have actual rescues on the course of the athlete being injured. So, you know, there's all there's always drama associated with it, and there's no question that the tracking tells a rich story. So uh, it's very hard not to be involved. Hmm. That's interesting. So is, is it kind of safe to assume that this is, you know, pretty much a, a full-time or a part-time gig for you, both of you guys? It is for me, yes. Scott is also running Topa Fusion, so he's got two full-time jobs. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> the, the hardware is um, very busy, and then um, I'm mostly the point person for developing the the arrangements, the protocols uh, for the the race organizers and how they execute. So end-to-end, I'm very involved with uh, communicating with the, the, the event organizers. Okay. Scott, is, Scott is the man behind the curtain. 
And, and Scott, uh, we'd be remiss to say that uh, probably part of his is his day is is just on uh, stopping spam on bikepacking.net. That's that's one of your projects too, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. But uh, no question, the track leaders takes uh, most of my working hours. Uh, Topo Fusion and bikepacking are more kind of in a maintenance mode more than uh, act, active development or you know a lot of a lot of hands-on stuff more with track leaders so yeah well kind of a funny side story um you know for the for the anyone that's listening that uh, you know is wondering where our our form went on bikepack.ca I, I took it down and one of the big reasons actually is uh we we had more spam contributors than than uh, you know real life contributors and it was driving me nuts so uh that's why it's gone and if you want to form uh, definitely bikepacking.net is 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 where to go um okay <laughs> cool let's see here um okay yeah so people often ask um and, and i see it kind of everywhere you know it like there's a bit of a paranoia when you haven't done these things before as, as a racer, um, like how close you need to stick to the route, especially if you're, you're relatively new to GPS. And, and I, I know I encountered this firsthand on the first time of the tour divide, like you have this kind of paranoia and you're wondering, like, if I go off road a block, does that mean, you know, that, that I haven't done the race? And I, I guess that's probably up to the, the individual organizer as far as those parameters, but as far as as you know your your role is tracking these things you know I, it's probably next to impossible for the organizer to follow each individual feed to, to to you know double check on these things so you know for the for the organizer are you providing any sort of like warning system when when racers are, are going off route or uh, you know is, is that all a manual thing that they have to do after the fact or during for most races, I'd say generally we don't provide that, and it would really be up to the organizer to comb through the data, and if they really want to get that, you know, serious about it, they can. It's it's all there. You know, you can pull up everybody's full histories and then really look at where they are. Um, we have some, you know, basic events for being off route and some basic thresholds, but they don't. I don't think they really mean anything necessarily for scoring or you know or DNFing people. So it would be up to the organizer. Um, there's been a few uh, exceptions to that in our portfolio of uh, races that we've tracked. Uh, one would be motorsports, where we were responsible for um, uh, scoring people and that kind of thing. But that's um, a whole different thing. But I don't really know of anybody in bikepacking, any organizer, who really does that. I think it's just more assumed that it's the, you know it's on the honor system or it's or I think a lot of times it gets called out either on the forums or on Facebook or whatever that people notice, you know, when someone's really off route, it's obvious to everybody that's watching and it's not down to the one block level, right? It's more like they missed this 50 mile stretch and they've been way off and now they're back. And so I think that's more what people, what most organizers actually would care about. Um, so I would say the paranoia is unfounded, but I can certainly, <laughs> I can certainly um, appreciate where it comes from. Yeah. So ultimately it comes down to, to self-policing and, uh, you know, just trying to do the right thing. Um, okay. I'm curious, you know, with, with the, the collection of uh, events that you guys have uh, going now, um, and I, I believe I actually saw the, the, 
is the race across America using you guys now? Yes, they do. Okay. Um, so I guess that leads to the next question, Matthew, I'm curious, what, uh, do you have a sense of, you, you must, uh, of like, what are the more popular events, um, you know, for, for people to, to follow these days, you know, what, what events, I guess, get the most hits of people coming to your site? Yeah. So <clears throat> the motorsports events, uh, see the most traffic, but what we have found is that all of that traffic is not necessarily fan traffic. A lot of it can be their support crews. And um, it's just a testament to how valuable location information can be for a support crew. Uh, but in terms of pure fan base, the sled dog races are pretty high up there. And then the the Triple Crown um, events for bikepacking are pretty high. Um, for example, Tour Divide, Arizona Trail Race, and the CTR are probably – isn't that about right, Scott, that those three are our highest performing? Um, yeah, those are big, but I would say – I would add to that the um, the new newer uh, road-based bikepacking events like Trans Am. Uh, they're right. pretty big too. Yeah. Hmm. So you mentioned that uh, Spot is, is I don't want to say catching up, but evolving uh, to include the, the two-way messaging service, which um, uh, the InReach has. Um, does that affect at all how you guys kind of see the evolution of, of track leaders? Like, do you, do you kind of see integrating new features or anything changing? Or are you know, just going to kind of keep, you know, focusing on, on the, the, the core principles? Yeah, I guess the two-way is really a more important feature for the actual user who's in the field who needs to communicate something out. Um, you know, certainly we have the ability uh, even now that if someone wants to, you know, we can display their custom messages or their text messages, you know, where they were on the map. But sometimes that data is not necessarily intended to be public. So it, I guess in my mind, it doesn't really change too much as far as... Um, presenting you know an overall live overview of a race and the evolution of the race um but, but matthew do you agree with that yes and uh, the reason that i think you're right about that is that we already have pre-programmed messages coming from trackers anyway and uh, we we do plot those on the map but there doesn't seem to be any sort of, uh, you know, uh, any viral response to the, the um, pre-programmed messages. So I'm not sure how much people would really get behind um, the custom messages coming from a two-way device. Uh, one, because I don't know how creative the user has the, the energy to really be in a, an ultra-endurance event. Um, so they're probably going to be short and sweet anyway. Um, but yeah, they can be, um, love little love notes to your spouse, things like that, that are not necessarily, uh, pertinent to telling the story. We're really trying to, you know, tell the story of what's going down, uh, within the field. What are, is there gamesmanship going on? Who's attacking who? And that really relies on, uh, the, the tracking data, the location information. So 
as far as the future goes, perhaps just richer data, um, 2.5 minute updating for everybody, perhaps, so that you have a lot better tracks coming from people. It's much easier to verify route compliance when you have 2.5 minute tracking rather than 10. Uh, I also uh, see integration with other social media products as being another um, aspect of the future. For example, we already have a timestamp for where someone is at a certain time. So if we can integrate some other uh, publication that they're putting out, like whether it's a picture or a Twitter post, anything like that, we can, through correlating timestamps, geolocate uh, the tweets on the map if if that were of interest to people, we, we don't want the maps to get too busy. We think with too much stuff on too much data on the map, it can be hard for the average viewer to understand what's going on in the race itself. But it, it is the wave of the future to start lo- geolocating other data on the map besides just um, speed and, and uh, location speed and elevation so does it does that mean matthew the next time that you take on something we're going to be able to follow all your tweets and facebook messages and instagram posts are all going to be uh, put out there for everyone <laughs> probably probably not i'm i'm not a huge adopter of all of those products because i i think you can spend more time off the bike than on the bike if you if you're engaging too much in that however if if you are doing an event like RAM, that type of thing can be very important because you have support crews. Uh, coming from the bikepacking world, you know, we tend to poo-poo support crews, but I will give a nod to all those really difficult events out there in the world that um, are both very hard but also embrace um, support crews as well because they are undoubtedly very social um, events when you have two or three support crew for every individual racing. You really, um, when you look at it, you have, you know, uh, four times the number of people involved, closely involved, attached to the event um, than you do in a bikepacking event where you have no support crew. Yeah, not not any better or worse, just different. And I, exactly, I, I think it's a, a great acknowledgement coming from you know, especially someone of uh, you know, some someone that you know a lot of us uh, admire for for really developing the scene. So uh, yeah, that's that's great of you to say. Um, you know, while uh, what I'm thinking here, so going back kind of to the techie side of things, I'm curious. So Spot, you know, has a very limited history as far as like, uh, how long they keep track of, um, you know, each person's respective, um, well, tracking history, I guess, I think it's like a week or something. Um, is, is, you know, for, for you guys, like, it seems like you kind of keep it indefinitely is, is it just that you have, you know, uh, a, a bank of servers that can just host more information? Like, is there any particular reason why spot doesn't hold the history for, for longer? Uh, I don't think it's really a server limitation. You know, we don't have a giant server or anything. We just have one that's big enough. Um, but our focus has always been that to, you know, as you said, uh, keep, keep a full, you know, permanent archive of all these events. And that's one thing that's really cool about our website is you can go back and, 
you know, replay the 2009 tour divide or whatever, you know, and see how it developed. But, um, I don't know. I, I would ask Matthew, do you know why there's a good reason for the seven day limit? That's fine. Well, I, I think they just put, they make it incumbent on the user to decide how important the tracking data are. Um, they, they're in no position to, to decide what pings are worth archiving and what are not. And, um, from our side of things, every ping that we receive from an athlete is precious and just as important as the next. And so, uh, by default, everything that we're receiving in and recording, is worth archiving for them. They're dealing with a lot of clients who are simply, you know, perhaps tracking, um, trucking fleets, anything throughout the, the month. And so in the same way that, that, uh, closed circuit TV and, uh, cams, um, internet cams and things like that are not logging and archiving all their footage all the time. I think I think it is a resources issue, and as Spot grows more popular, they're they're having trouble keeping up with. They're having to to continually rededicate new resources to their servers and and uh, uh, get better at what they're doing because they have uh, easily over a hundred thousand subscribers already um, on their system. So I can understand why they don't want to be in the business of archiving. Hmm. Well, I, I think that uh, that gets to the end of uh, most of my questions. I, I've definitely learned a lot, but I, I know, I, I, again, I would be remiss if I didn't ask, uh, you know, just out of uh, selfish curiosity, like, what what are you guys up to these days? And do you have any, you know, big plans for, for the summer? I know, I know, Scott, you're you're running the, the, the mobile the mobile office from from Moab, but uh Matthew, where, where are you at these days? What are you up to? I'm in North Carolina, and my high adventure these days consists of uh, chasing my kids around. So I, I'm in a slightly different demographic now than I once was, but I still um, do the, the term weekend warrior proud, and I try to get away for lunch rides when I can. Um, I I think in some ways I'm lucky to have something like track leaders to help, uh, uh, quench my thirst for adventure. I, I, I'm living vicariously through all of the, the track leaders users. Oh, that's cool. And, uh, Scott, are, are, how are you in Moab for the foreseeable future? Where are you guys, where are you, you and Esther headed next? Uh, we will be here until it gets hot, but, um, you know, that's one of the great things about the, the mobile life is, it's um, making it up as you go, you know. So uh, we've we've been doing it for about a year and a half now, and it really sort of goes along the cliche of wherever the wind blows. So we kind of make decisions based on weather and where the, whether there's new terrain or something we want to go do or friends we want to go visit here or there. And so yeah, people always ask us, you know, where to next, and usually we have an idea of what might be next, but we never really know for sure. <laughs> uh-huh. Well said. Well, uh, for again, for, for those that want to follow up, um, let's make sure we got all the websites down. So there's there's bikepacking.net, there's um, topofusion.com if you're on the, the Windows machine, 
Um, and of course, uh, trackleaders.com if you want to um, you know, get your event tracked um, or just uh, you as an individual rider if, you, if you're doing an individual time trial. Um, what else? Uh, Scott, what did, remind us, what's, what's, you have a blog also, right? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a sub, just a sub page on the topoffusion.com uh, site. So it'd be topoffusion.com slash diary. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. If you, if you want to see some great uh, shots from Arizona and, and various Arizona ventures, it's a good resource for that. And, uh, if you want to follow Matthew Lee, well, you're, you're, you're out of, uh, out of luck, but, uh, uh ho- <laughs> <laughs> hopefully this conversation provided some, uh, so th- we'll, we'll call it ride the divide, uh, volume two, uh, just a, a new slice into Matthew's life. But, uh, thank you guys. I, 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 this has been great. Um, I, I know it's, it's a, it's a service we all use and uh, it's always fun to, to get some of the stories, uh, behind the scenes, especially from, uh, you know, to, Two bikepacking legends, uh, we'll say. So uh, thanks, guys, and uh, uh, have a great afternoon. And I look forward to, to meeting up on the trails again sometime in the future. Right on, Ryan. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. That was fun. <laughs>